Well, good evening. Happy Lord's Day. My name is Reggie Rodriguez, and I'm one of the 147 members of Bethany Baptist Church. It is my joy to be with you here tonight. If you have a copy of your Bible, please turn to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 18. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 8. If you don't have a Bible handy, please feel free to grab one of the black hardcover Bibles in the chair in front of you and turn to page 930, please. I'll start with verse 1. Now he told them a parable on the need for them to pray always and not give up. There was a judge in a certain town who didn't fear God or respect people. And a widow in that town kept coming to him saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while he was unwilling, but later he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or respect people, and a widow in that town kept coming to him saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while he was unwilling. I'm sorry, guys. <laughs> yep, I'm breaking up with verse 5. Yep, because this widow kept, keeps pestering me, I will give her justice so that she doesn't wear me out by her persistent coming. Then the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. Will not God grant justice to his elect who cry out to him day and night? Will he delay helping them? I tell you that he will swiftly grant them justice. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? This is God's word. God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we thank you for this night. We thank you that we can gather together as a church family, Lord, and we can look into your word right now. I pray, Father, that... Um, we need you, God, and we pray that you would just illuminate the text, Lord, that we would be able to um, see in this passage, Lord, that you, this passage is about prayer, and that you would convict and exhort and push us towards more faithfulness and more discipline in our prayer life. We pray, God, that, God, that you would increase our faith and grow us into the likeness of your son, Jesus. May you be glorified during this time. In Jesus' name, amen. One of the very first books that I had to read at Southern Seminary was entitled Delighted in God, and it's an autobiography of George Mueller. And to this day, it's probably still the favorite, my favorite book that I've read uh, at Southern. Uh, George is a remarkable man, and it looks into the, his life, especially his prayer life. Mueller kept a prayer journal in which he records having over 50,000 specific answers to prayer in his journals, 30,000 of which he said were answered the same day or the same hour in which he prayed them. So think of it for a second. That's 500 definite answers to prayer each year, more than one per day, every single day for 60 years. Our parable tonight, in particular, is quite simple. And what I'd like for you to see tonight, during our time together, is the main idea of the parable, and that is that we need to be constant in prayer and not lose heart. And I want you to see from the text two reasons why we should persist in praying and not lose heart. 
I then hope to make some applications in encouraging you to make prayer a priority in your life. We know that we can have confidence in our prayers that we will be heard. So the main idea in the parable, application of the main idea, and our confidence in being heard by God. So for purposes of review, I want to define uh, what a parable is. There are many definitions out there that, you'll, that you can come across about uh, what, what is a parable. And I kind of landed on this one. A parable is a simple and usually narrative story grounded in the real world and used to provoke the audience on a spiritual or moral matter or even to make a spiritual or moral point. So why did Jesus teach in parables? Parables require something of the audience. We learn from Matthew 13, the purpose of a parable is both to hide truth and reveal truth. To hide truth from those that aren't his and to reveal truth to those that are his. Jesus cites Isaiah 6, 9, and 10 in support of his use of parables. And Matthew quotes Psalm 78:2, in which God chooses some and chooses against others. So let's take a look at our passage. Verse 1 holds the key to interpreting this parable. And I'm going to read it out of two versions. I'm going to read it out of the version that we use here at Bethany Baptist Church, and that's the CSB. And I'll be repeating this because we just did read it a second ago. Now he told them a parable on the need for them to pray always and not give up. And then I'm going to read it out of the NASB. It says, now he was telling them a parable to show that at all times they ought to pray and not to lose heart. So not all parables have the key directly stated in the text. In fact, most often we have to look at the passage for inferences in the text in order to get the main idea. In regard to verse 1, J.C. Ryle, the English bishop, says this, The object of the parable before us is explained by Christ himself. To use the words of an old divine, the key hangs at the door. In this parable, Jesus is painting a picture for us of two extreme characters who are diametrically opposed to one another. In verse 2, the first character, the judge, is described as a most wicked person, someone who has absolutely no reverence for God and no concern for people, no concern regarding the law or the will of God and completely indifferent to the needs of people. This man is completely wicked. This man cannot be moved. There's no way to reach him. He is not moved by reverence or worship, and he is not moved by compassion or sympathy. He has zero interest in the first commandment, loving God, and no interest in the second commandment, loving his neighbor as himself. In verse three, the second character is portrayed as the most vulnerable member of society. She is a widow. Luke makes much mention of widows in the Gospel of Luke. I think Luke has a special place in his heart for widows. He has a special place in his heart for women who had lost husbands. One of Luke's underlying themes throughout both Luke and Acts is his heart for the marginalized, those whose society disdains, the disadvantaged, and the forgotten. 
And this includes not just the poor, but particularly widows who have lost not just their husbands, but also their economic and social support system. So Luke mentions widows 12 times, nine times in the book of Luke and three times in the book of Acts. In comparison, John doesn't mention widows at all. Matthew mentions widows only once, and Mark mentions them only three times. So we get a sense that widows are of importance to Luke. Luke is pitting two figures representing opposite ends of the social ladder against each other. How startling it must have been for the first century listeners to learn that the, the male judge eventually capitulates to the woman's pleas. Look at verse 3. We see in verse 3 that there's a widow in that city, and she kept coming to him saying, give me legal protection from my opponent. Someone had defrauded her. In fact, someone had so seriously defrauded her that she is destitute. Not only is she destitute by virtue of the fact that she keeps coming and keeps coming and keeps coming, which is the Lord's way of pointing out that she really was in a situation where she had to have what was rightfully hers. But we know that her destitution goes beyond the financial. She apparently also has no man in her life. No man in her family. Not a brother, not a brother-in-law, not a father, not a son, not a cousin, not a nephew, not any man who could come to plead her case because courts belong to men. So I was talking recently to one of my best friends uh, a couple of days ago, and I've known this guy since we were both 15 years old. And we used to work together at a liquor store in the San Fernando Valley. He's now an immigration attorney, and he's dedicated to helping those who don't have a voice and are marginalized in our society. And he tells me this story. He tells me about a lady whom he recently had the privilege of helping. And he was describing her situation, and he said just three weeks ago in San Francisco, this client of his was granted asylum. And in his words, this elderly lady lost five of ten children and her husband to cartel violence in Mexico. Her family had a farm in which the kids farmed it together with their dad. The cartel came in and demanded that the father plant certain crops on the farm. And the father refused, so the cartel uh, came to kill him and one of his sons. Three years subsequent to that, three other sons were killed by the cartel, and death threats were being made to his client. Eventually, his client came to the U.S. to ask for asylum. She sought protection at the border in August of 2017, and her case finally went to trial just this past December, where the judge did grant asylum to her. This is a horrific story in that it cost her the life of five of her kids and her husband. And what's unique about this, crime in general is not a basis for asylum. The harm has to be at the hands of the government or groups that the government cannot control. Although cartel crime is rampant in Mexico, the Ninth Circuit generally does not recognize cartel crime as a basis for asylum without more. Here, the fact that the cartel members were trying to force this family from their land and the fact the local government would not protect her helped. The fact she was elderly and the cartel had came looking for her too allowed the judge to grant her humanitarian, humanitarian asylum. It is enough that she would be subject to other harm if she was returned to Mexico.
And that's what was unique about this case is that she was granted asylum through those circumstances. So here's my first point, point one. Persist in praying because the circumstances of life will cause you to want to give up. And I get that from verse one in the text. Prayer will prevent you from being discouraged. Now this does presuppose, of course, that you have a prayer life. You will not persist in prayer if you're not praying at all. You must have a prayer life. It presupposes that you do pray and that you are tempted in your praying to give up. Let me just say here, as an initial application, that if you have no prayer life, if you never pray at all, that's probably an indication that you're not a Christian. It's probably an indication that you're actually not in a saving relationship with God. I think the case can certainly be made from Scripture that prayer is one of the first evidences of genuine salvation. Do you remember in Acts 9 when Saul of Tarsus, who was a great persecutor of the church, was converted on the road to Damascus? The Lord comes to Ananias in a vision, and he tells Ananias, rise and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he is praying. Here is a man who'd been very religious. He'd been a Pharisee. He'd been self-righteous, but he didn't know God. When he met Jesus on the road to Damascus, the very first thing that changed is he started praying. What priority do you give prayer in your life? Would your prayer life functionally attest to your salvation? So if you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, start here in faith. Call upon the name of the Lord to be saved. Go home today and cry out to God. Confess yourself a guilty sinner in the sight of God, justly deserving his wrath. Confess your spiritual bankruptcy. Turn from the things you've been looking for, leaning on, depending on for satisfaction in your life. Acknowledge them to be worthless and incapable of saving you. Turn to the Lord in prayer. Humbly ask him to save you, to forgive you. Call upon the name of the Lord and you will be saved. Start there. Point two, persist in prayer because of who God is and his character. So in this parable, there's an argument in which we're moving from a wicked, corrupt judge to a perfect and holy God. In this parable, it's actually arguing from the lesser to the greater. The unrighteous judge is the lesser. He's motivated to grant the widow's request only because of her insistence and her commitment that he is able. She will not be denied. Now God, is the greater, is a righteous judge and is far more, far more motivated and caring, therefore lesser to the greater. How much more will God give justice to his elect when they insist on justice and are committed that God is able? We can pray persistently and patiently because we have faith that God is righteous and will always do what is right. 
loving father. In this parable, there is a sharp contrast between the unrighteous and righteous judge. The unrighteous judge neither feared God nor respected man. The righteous judge is God, and he is our loving heavenly father. The Bible tells us that God is love. That's 1 John 4, 16. We can pray persistently and patiently because we have faith that God loves us and cares deeply for us. Some of you may be in a season like that right now. Maybe you're in a difficult job or no job at all. Maybe there's a strained marriage relationship, needing direction. Maybe you need provision. Maybe you're single and you're wanting to be married. Maybe you're without children and desperately wanting children. I just want to say to you, keep praying. Don't lose heart. God can provide. God will direct. Plead his word. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Keep praying and don't lose heart when praying for your unsaved loved ones, your unbelieving family and friends. So I want to ask you tonight, how many of you this evening have a, a father or mother, a brother or sister, a son or daughter, or maybe just a close friend or other loved one who's not a Christian? Let me see your hand. If you could just slip up your hand if you've got someone that falls in those categories. I think that's most hands in the room. I'm sure that some of you have been praying for years. Some of you have seen tremendous answers to prayer. And some of you have been praying for a long time without seeing the fruit of your prayers. Tonight, I want to speak to you the word of the Lord, Jesus himself, who tells us that we should always be praying and not lose heart when praying. Cry to God day and night. Show yourself to be one of God's elect. See, I, I don't think we always take the scriptures as seriously as we should. Functionally, we do not have a high enough view of authority of the authority of Scripture. We don't take the promises of God and of Jesus in the invitation to prayer as seriously as we should. I was reading Charles Spurgeon this week, and I read a sermon in the last week that said something that just really resonated with me, and I, and I want you to see this. This is a bit of a long quote, but I think it's worth paying attention to. It's, it, it's worthy of you wrestling with and thinking about because Spurgeon here says something that is so amazing if this is true. I want you to listen to this. Why should the church continue in prayer? For several reasons, and the first is God will answer her. It is not possible that God should refuse to hear prayer. It is possible for him to bid the sun stand still and the moon to stay her monthly march. It is possible for him to bid the waves freeze in the sea, possible for him to quench the light of the stars in eternal darkness, but it is not possible for him to refuse to hear prayer, which is based upon his promise and offered in faith. He can reverse nature, but he cannot reverse his own nature. And he must do this before he can forbear to hear and answer prayer. The prayers of God's church are God's intentions. You will not misunderstand me. What God writes in the book of his decree, which no eye can see, that he in process of time writes in the book of Christian hearts, 
where all can see and read. The book of the believer's desire, if those desires be inspired of the Holy Spirit, is just an exact copy of the book of the divine decree. And if the church be determined today to lift up her heart in prayer for the conversion of men, it is because God determined from before all worlds that men should be converted. Your feeble prayer today, believer, can fly to heaven and awake the echoes of the slumbering decrees of God. Prayer is a decree escaped out of the prison of obscurity and come to life and liberty among men. Pray, brother and sister, pray. For when God inspires your prayer, it is as potent as the decrees of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Almighty God, for um, this time that we can just look at this parable, Lord. I just pray, Father, that you would just press the truths of this parable deep into our hearts, Father. I pray that it would push us towards greater love for you, greater obedience to you, greater love for one another, and greater encouragement and discipline in our prayer life. I know for me this week, Father, I've I've been the most blessed because I've been in this passage every day, and it's caused me to increase my prayer life more than I ever have before. I thank you for that, Father, and I pray that it would have a similar effect in the uh, lives of those who are listening tonight. I thank you for this church, and I thank you, God, for your son, Jesus, for it's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks, brother. We're going to take a moment now to share.